Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. After uh, <clears throat> hearing Sally's instructions this morning on intention, I decided to give a talk on the power of intention. And I'd like to start out with this contemporary prayer. Dear God, so far today, I've done okay. I haven't gossiped or lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, crabby, mean, nasty, selfish, bitchy, or overindulgent. And I'm very grateful for that. But dear God, in a few minutes, I'm going to get out of bed. (laughs) And then I'm probably going to need a lot more help. Amen. (laughs) We have all these ideas and notions about how we'd like to be, how we should be, how we aspire to be, but even if you've been dedicating your life to spiritual practice and you're here doing your work so diligently, it's hard. It's hard. The old habits are so strong. And so understanding this power of intention is key in the process, because the Buddha said that we have a choice, even though it doesn't seem that way, even though it seems that we will just fall into our lifelong habits over and over again, we actually have a choice. We can actually change. I mean, that's why you're here, right? Because somehow you've seen the possibility of change. But it's important to see how that happens. As it says, we say, and as the Buddha says, uh, those habits are conditioned and they run very deep. As the, a line in one of the discourses in the Majima Uh, Majima 19 says, whatever one frequently thinks and ponders upon, that will become the inclination of their mind. And unless you have a very clear idea of what you want to create, your default settings will keep on manifesting. But it's possible to change. We have a choice. How do we do that? This is how I see the process. First, seeing how our mind works, seeing the habits in the mind, which when you start out an experience like this, it's often not a very pretty picture. Right? Oh my goodness, look at my mind. You know, 
oh, I thought I saw that. I thought I got rid of that on the last retreat. Or, you know, <laughs> here it is again. Or I, I did eight years of therapy, and I thought I was finished with my family, and here they are again, just you know, sitting around the table, and I'm six years old. It's humbling, but you see those habits of mind, and if you can see them, hopefully, you're getting the idea without judging them, without taking them personally, without identifying with them, and just seeing them as habits, then you're not creating more trouble by wishing they were gone, adding the second dart on top of the first. You know that teaching of the second dart. The first dart is, oh gosh, you know, Here's fear, here's sadness. Oh, this is so hard. The second art is, I can't believe I'm stuck in this again. I'm so pathetic. That's judging the fact of what you see. So first, seeing how our mind works and all the patterns. Second, understanding where true well-being and happiness lie. And then, little by little, having the determination and the courage to change those habits. And that all rests on our intention to change. That's how change happens. When Sally was talking this morning, she mentioned two levels of intention, and I'd like to explore both of those. In the practice, as you're going through your day, just noticing in every moment, as she said, it's a common, um, a common mental factor. It arises in every moment. There's intention in every moment. And to notice your intention. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Where is this coming from? This is one very profound investigation. And then there's a second level of intention, as she talked about, of aspiration on a, a, bigger, uh, a bigger perspective. Really, the vision you have for your life. And I want to explore both of these for a little while and and see how they work in our practice and and perhaps you can incorporate them in, in your practice. Intention in every moment, it's really profound to see how this works because this is where all karma is sourced. There's a line the Buddha has, as you say, intending, I tell you, intention, I tell you, is karma. Intending, one creates karma by way of body, speech, and mind. In every single moment, we are either sowing the seeds for more suffering or more happiness. And if we're not conscious, usually we're sowing more suffering. And this is one way that you can see how it works. If you're 
motivated, if any particular action is motivated by greed, hatred, or delusion, by wanting, aversion, or confusion, you are planting the seeds for suffering. Those are the roots of suffering. In every moment that you are motivated by non-greed or generosity or relinquishment, letting go, renunciation, non-hatred or kindness, non-delusion or clarity, you are planting the seeds for happiness. Those are the, the three sources of happiness, the roots of happiness, non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion. And in every moment there's intention, but it will be colored by one or another of those sets. Just to give you a sense of how this works, this is something that when I reflected on in my own life, it really um, um, kind of woke me up to how, how literally I'm creating my life through one of these two choices. First, we'll take the, the bad news. Okay. So, Think for a moment, you might close your eyes, and think for a moment of some unskillful act or word or deed that you did somewhere in your distant past, or maybe today. And as you recall it, just bring it to mind so you remember. Maybe you clicked that send on the email a little bit too quickly or gave the feedback in a way that uh, was, was not exactly nonviolent communication or whatever. <laughs> and as you recall it, notice how the seeds of suffering are planted in at least four ways. We'll just do four as you reflect on the moment that it happened, or perhaps the moment right after the word was spoken or the, the deed was done, how did it feel? It might have felt good right in the moment, but I'm talking about the moment right after. Mm. It probably might, might have been a little bit of tightening, as justifiable as it might have seemed. The energy that would come back to you from the person on the receiving end, what was that like? Did they say, oh, thanks for the feedback? You know, probably there's some energy that was put into, into action. The Likelihood of you repeating that is greater because you've just reinforced that habit. So that's a third way that suffering can get created because you, we are creatures of habit. And as you're thinking about it right now, how does it feel? 
maybe a little bit of contraction, maybe a little remorse or guilt or unpleasantness. So that one act had four seeds of suffering in the moment or right after, the energy that comes back, the likelihood that it gets repeated, and in reflection. Each of those creates some suffering. Okay, so that's the bad news. I won't leave you here. Take a breath, clean the, the board, nice and fresh. Here's the good news. Think of something really skillful that you've done. Just maybe a random act of kindness, calling up a friend who's having a hard time or just some generosity moving through you. Just spontaneous as it came through. And bring to mind, have an image, have a, uh, a recollection of that experience. And again, four ways that seeds of wholesome seeds of happiness are planted. How did it feel in the moment that that action or those words came through you? Probably pretty good. What's the energy that would come back from whoever is on the receiving end? Probably also really good. Connecting, appreciating. The likelihood of you doing that in that way is greater because you've practiced it in the moment. And so you're reinforcing a wholesome habit. A third way. And as you're thinking about it now, how does it feel? Doesn't it feel pretty good? Hmm. So one act planting seeds that bear fruit in four different ways. In the moment, the energy that comes back, the reinforcing of that habit, and as you reflect back. That's powerful, okay? Like you can open your eyes. That's how we're creating karma in every single moment by our intention. So this is no small thing to get in touch with why I'm doing what I'm doing can have a radical shift in your life. And the, the gift of being here on retreat is that you slow down enough to see the subtleties of your mind and you start to have choice and see, oh, wait, why am I doing this? Why am I doing what, am I, what I'm doing? And every time you do it from a skillful motivation, then you're reinforcing aligning with wholesomeness. That's where Sally was saying, before you go for the cup of tea, just ask, why am I doing it? You can take that cup of tea from the most skillful place possible. Oh, I'm doing this because 
this is what will help me really be here and, and be at ease. I've gotten a little contracted, and, and this is going to support my practice. Or you can do the same thing and say, ah, I just feel like you know, blowing it off for a little while. It's exactly the same thing, but act. But if you can get in touch with your intention to support your practice, there's something really wholesome that you're reinforcing. So one way that you might work with it, Sally suggested uh, a few ways. I work with it on, on retreat just before any shift of activity. If I'm walking and then all of a sudden... I'm going to change my mode of walking. Oh, now I'm going to sit. Or now I'm going to the bathroom. Or now I'm going to whatever, have a cup of tea. Just to ask, oh, why am I doing what I'm doing? And then let it come from a place of this supports my practice. And if you're sensing this is not really supporting my practice, then get in touch with what will. What will support my practice right now? So you're getting more in touch with your own wisdom inside. As the, the Buddha has this image, each act doesn't seem like much, but drop by drop, he has an image of, of a, a, a bowl under a, 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 a spigot, a, drop, a dripping spigot. One drop at a time doesn't seem like much, but drop by drop by drop, the the bucket gets filled. So this is what we're doing, drop by drop by drop, getting in touch with acting out of non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion, clarity, and support for your practice, which leads to that higher intention of aspiration, which holds the whole experience. You're, I'm sure, all familiar with the Eightfold Path. The first um, link in the Eightfold Path is wise understanding, or right view. That is understanding, really, where happiness is found. Understanding karma, understanding how Grasping leads to suffering and really understanding uh, the difference between creating suffering or happiness in our life. The second link, once there's some minimal understanding established, the second link is often translated as right intention or wise intention. Sometimes it's translated as uh, right thought. But it really is seeing, okay, if this is where happiness lies, I am going for it. I don't want to create more suffering in my life. This is a, a kind of choice, understanding where, that you're going to do this. And that leads to your speech and action and your work and the meditative training. But it starts with that decision. Once you kind of get how the game works, this decision, I am going for it. 
That's one way I think of as, as right intention or wise intention. As the uh, Tibetan uh, teaching goes, everything rests on the tip of one's motivation. This is the same way as saying karma. Just where you're coming from will determine where you're going to. So this intention, where does it come from? Often it comes not only from seeing how the game works, but being inspired to decide to give that to yourself. Because you've been moved, inspired, you've, you know, uh, Andrea talked about faith. Something awakens some faith in you that says it's possible. For me, uh, sometimes I've shared this, the first time I, I heard the, the teachings, it was in uh, 1974 at Naropa Institute, uh, the first summer in, uh, that that was happening. And I went out there because Ramdas was there and I'd been carrying around Be Here Now like a Bible for a few years. And I was finally getting to, to meet him. And I asked him about, among other things, meditation. And I'd been doing some meditation. I'd been doing TM and a few other things uh, before that. And he said, go to this uh, essential Buddhism by this guy Goldstein. He's pretty good. And I went there, and I sat down. First 10 minutes was kind of like judging. <laughs> he, he didn't quite fit my image of the great master. He sounded like he was from Brooklyn. I was from Queens, right? <laughs> he was just a couple of years older than me, you know, and... I, I, I related to him so much that it was like, oh, that, that could be me. You know, what's the difference? That, I was about 10 minutes of doing that. And then I just kind of listened, not only to what he was saying, but the way he was saying it. And it was clear he knew something that I didn't. There was just a, a centeredness and a presence and a, and a trust that, and I was in a lot of dukkha, and he was saying it's possible to not get caught and run by your neurotic thought patterns, which had never occurred to me as a possibility before. <laughs> but the way he said it, I really, I believed him. I said, I said, wow, maybe it's possible. Maybe it's possible for me. And I just really went for it. And I was so, I was in so much pain that I just really went for the practice because I believed him. And we all have our own stories of that bright faith. Do you remember what, what got you, got the hook in you, not just in your mind, but saying, I think I've got to check this out. You know, and then maybe you, listened to a talk or came on a day long or did a shorter retreat and here you are sitting for six weeks or three, mo- three months. Something in there woke you up and has touched you deeply and has turned you towards that intention 
of really going for it, making that decision. It's a decision. Intention is a decision in the heart that is inspired by a vision. That's how I I see it. And then besides just having our our inspiration of out there, we have the inspiration and the, the growing of faith that comes from inside, from our actual experience. You know, this is called verified faith, not just bright faith, but verified faith, where you know it's true. And nobody can take that away from you. And that's what you're doing here. You're learning more and more where peace and well-being and happiness lies. And nobody can take that away. It's an embodied understanding. It's not just an idea. The, the second retreat I ever did, I got this in a, a very profound way. I was, it was out in uh, Toledo, Washington, I was doing this retreat, and um, by the third day, my body was racked with pain, my mind was everywhere, and I was really, I was kind of freaking out, actually, you know, if you really want to get the right label for it, you know. And uh, and I thought this was just so weird, the whole thing was so weird, we're sitting and walking and nothing is happening except just kind of my body and mind you know rebelling and then i wasn't so sure that these guys knew what they were talking about you know i don't know about these teachings and i tried to do sitting i couldn't sit i tried to do walking meditation i couldn't walk and finally i just kind of gave up and i went to my little cubicle in this particular meditation center uh, it was like a dorm room separated by by uh, curtains, uh, to just chill out, you know. <laughs> and on my my uh, bureau was a picture of Neem Karoli Baba from Ramdas's book, Be Here Now, Maharaji. And he was looking at me with this little smile, like saying, hmm, having a hard time, aren't we, right? <laughs> this little twinkle in his eye. And it just kind of broke the whole trance of hell realm, right, to say, oh, wow, I just, I just created this hell realm, you know. I can just lighten up, right? <laughs> and, I, and I got really excited because I had conquered doubt. That's what I thought. Wow, <laughs> I had a lot of doubt. I just conquered doubt. Watch out. And I couldn't wait to go to my interview to tell Joseph that I'd conquered doubt. (laughs) Unfortunately, the interview was about um, 14 hours later. It was the next morning. And from that space of utter confidence, I got exhilarated, and then I crashed, and then I got confused, and then I got sleepy, and then I kind (laughs) of... I was going all over the map, and I was really, I was just so bewildered. And I get into the interview, and Joseph says, so, how's it going? (laughs) And I said, completely innocent, in, in total exasperation, 
it's always changing. <laughs> he said, that's it. You got it. I said, oh, that's what you keep on saying, huh? Oh, it really is always changing. Oh. That was a key moment in my practice. Oh, this isn't just a line. How many different moods have you had today? How many different thoughts have you had today? She said, what, 66,000, if you're lucky. (laughs) But that kind of verified faith, it wasn't like somebody had to say, hey, look, you know, just take my word for it. Things change. I got it. Oh, things really do change. And when you have that kind of faith, the stronger faith you have, the stronger intention to just see I'm going for true well-being and happiness. Another line for me that's always been an inspiration from the Buddha that it goes something like, if it were not possible to free the mind of greed, hatred, and delusion, I would not tell you to do so. Very simple, but that's the scoop. It is possible to free the mind of greed, hatred, and delusion. Wow. Try that on for size. So once you have that kind of inspiration, then to deepen your intention really carries the whole process through. I mean, this is not easy to sit and walk and just watch your mind and feel your feelings and open up to the whole show. You've got to have something carrying you through. And that is it, your heartfelt, sincere intention to wake up, or however you say it in your own in your own mind. I want to say a few things about intention. It is different than goal. Sometimes you might come to a retreat, say, oh, okay, my intention in this retreat is to, you know, clear up my family history, you know. <laughs> Good luck, you know. Or to, you know, attain this experience, this level of concentration. I know I could do it. I was so close at the last retreat. It's just around the corner, you know, maybe by the fourth or fifth week. I, you know, should get pretty close, you know. Let's see if I, this is not intention. It's not about a goal. It's not about having a report card and seeing, are we there yet? Did I pass the test or did life pass the test? It is really just, as the Buddha says, inclining the mind, having a vision, being inspired by it, and inclining the mind in that direction. I like to think of it as getting in touch with the heartfelt decision to do my part, to incline the mind and the heart in that way, and then take whatever comes. So it makes it so much easier when it's not up to you to make it happen. 
I, I, I forget if I said it in the last talk, maybe I did forgive the repetition, that when I realized I have no control, did I talk about this, of how concentrated I am? Did I mention this last time? No. It, this, is, this is a great insight. You have no control over how concentrated or mindful you are. You might think, oh, that's kind of discouraging. <laughs> but it's actually great news. Because then you don't have to blame yourself for not getting there. Right? What you do have control over is the intention, the willingness to show up as best you can, and the willingness to bring yourself back every time you've gone. And it just so happens that that is the way that mindfulness and uh, concentration and freedom occur. That's your end of the deal. But not to judge yourself and say, are we there yet? So to really just put your heart into it, I did say this last time, if, you're, if you think of effort as your sincerity of heart, then you show up as best you can and let life do the rest trusting in the process. All you need to do is face in the right direction, whether it's here in the retreat or in your life. Facing in the right direction is the key. One way that this works, by the way, if you get clear on your intention, this is something that they've been finding uh, in neuroscience, that when you have an intention, you are what's called priming the brain to confirm that vision. So for instance, if you um, have an intention for um, opening up your heart with kindness, now you will probably see everything that gets in the way. That's part of the process. But you will also start to notice all the, the beauty in life or the ways that life touches you or the goodness around you. If you're operating with the belief, the core belief, and the, uh, that, that everybody around is a jerk and they're going to disappoint you or they're going to be in your way, your brain is primed to notice what gets that, that hypothesis getting confirmed. Uh-huh, see? There they are, a jerk. There's, an, <laughs> there's another jerk. Yep. They're all over the place, right? But if you, start pri- if you start intending to look for what's good, you'll start to see it, because the brain starts to... Um, to direct, it has its radar out for it. it it's primed to confirm the, the belief. So facing in the right direction and letting go of are we there yet, the timetable, is a tremendous relief. Then the, the, that intention, there's no failing it. Now you can feel a little frustrated by maybe how slow the process is going, you know. Oh gosh, you know, I still get caught, you know. 
But it's really, if you keep on facing in that direction and notice each time that you are learning it in a skillful way, then this is a very exciting journey. I once went to an interview. It's interesting giving these talks in this building, you know, every time, like I know just where I was in the interview. Because I'm usually talking out at Spirit Rock, so it's like, oh, it's right here, you know. I once went to an interview um, with Joseph, and it was like, uh, it was a whole other level of practice was happening. And, and I came into the interview and said, I don't know what I've been doing the last five years, but this is like, you know, a whole new, you know, a whole new understanding of practice and, and, and uh, you know, things are happening that I, you know, I, I just never imagined before, you know. And he said, oh yeah, I know that feeling. I said, you do? He said, yeah, I have it every time I sit, you know, every time I do a retreat. I said, really? And then he looked at me and he leaned over and he said, with this twinkle in his eye, yeah, and it's like, we're at the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> and I got shivers. He wasn't saying, there's a whole lot more to go and, you know, just kind of, you know, be patient. He was saying, yeah, it's so exciting. We're on this adventure. There's so much more to learn. Isn't that wonderful? And it it touched me in this place of wonder and awe, which is really, you know, part of my, my way of practicing. We're at the tip of the iceberg and it doesn't matter how long it takes, as long as you're facing in the right direction. And I said, oh yeah, here's a little anecdote from uh, <laughs> Thomas Edison, um, who, uh, it was a very long process before he invented the light bulb. And uh, this guy comes up to him, this journalist, uh, interviewing him towards the end of his life. And he said, Mr. Edison, how did it feel to fail 2,000 times before you finally invented the light bulb? And Edison looked at him and he said, my dear man, I did not fail. I invented the light bulb, and it was a 2,000-step process. <laughs> so everything counts. There's nothing that's wasted in this process. If you keep on being willing to learn, then you are all the time moving in the right direction. This is a, you might be familiar with this one. Uh, one teaching on the learning process that I love. <clears throat> it's called Autobiography in Five Short Chapters by Portia Nelson. Chapter one, I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost. I'm helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes me forever to find a way out. Chapter two, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place. 
But it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. (laughs) It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5. I walk down another street. (laughs) That's what we're doing here. Every time we fall in, where she says in the third chapter, my eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Not to blame yourself, but to see, oh, I have some choice here. And every time you fall in the hole, if you're waking up a bit more and see, oh, there's another way, I can walk around it or walk down another street, then nothing is wasted. So that intention is what keeps carrying you forward when you have the vision of what you want to create. I want to mention a few things about intention. First of all, it's not always clear that we're coming from 100% pure intention. You, know, you might do something, say, an act of kindness, right? And it's coming through from a, a very seemingly very pure place. But maybe if you're very aware, you'll notice, I hope they see what a good person I am. You know? I hope... Maybe something good will come back to me. And then you see, oh God, I thought I was coming from this pure, noble place. It's just ego. Let's let's get real. And you start to see those less than noble intentions mixed in with the pure intentions. And then you You completely nullify all the purity involved by focusing on your humanness. This is not so wise. Actually, if you, until you're a fully enlightened being, there's probably going to be some ego somewhere or feeling, hey, that was pretty good. Don't spend time focusing on those less than noble intentions. At least this is how I see it. You might be aware of them, but don't let them dominate. If you're coming from 90% pure intention and 10% ego, if you focus on that 10% ego, the 90% will dissolve and disappear. Then it's just, oh, I'm all ego. What a phony. Right? If you focus just on the 90%, the 10% will take care of itself. If it's 50-50, focus on the 50% wholesome. If it's 10-90, focus on the 10%. You'll give that more and more life. You'll feel how good it is to come from that wholesome heart. So with the mixed intentions, don't wait to be 100% holy person, saint. Get in touch 
with the goodness that is the source of those skillful actions or skillful thoughts. And then you're really learning to listen more and more to the goodness inside. Another thing about intention, and that is it's different than wishing something would happen. You know, I, it would be nice if I really was kind to myself. It would, I don't know if it'll happen, you know, but it would be a good thing. Boy, wouldn't it be nice? This is not about wishing or hoping. Do you have the song going on in your mind? Wishing and hoping and thinking and praying. This is not Dusty Springfield we're talking about here. This is about deciding to do your part. And even if it's not available to you, once you make that decision, even if you're, say, in that, that example, not feeling particularly kind, if it's getting in touch with, I will do, I am in the process of learning to be kinder to myself. And I will continue to do what I can to cultivate that for myself, for everyone in my life, however. And then let go of any kind of report card, but it's deciding to do your part, like I said before. And so that means that your intention to change has to be stronger than your intention to stay the same. Many years ago, I was on a retreat, and I was sitting in the retreat, and each um, each day there was a bodywork session. It was a Lomi Vipassana retreat out in California. And at the end of one of the um, uh, bodywork uh, movement sessions, mindful movement sessions, um, a few people had questions and I had a question. So I went up and there were a few of us gathered around. And this one yogi uh, spoke to the teacher and talked about a particular problem that they were having and w- wanted some advice. Uh, And uh, the teacher said, well, I think um, if you do this kind of movement, it will open things up. And this person said, oh, no, no, I couldn't do that because then this would, would happen. And he thought for a moment, he said, okay, well, here's another alternative. You might try it this way, um, a whole different approach. And they said, oh, no, 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 I couldn't do that because then this would go out. And then he offered a third alternative. And um, once again, she said, I don't think I'd be able to do that because, um, you know, this might, might happen. And then he looked at her and he said, I think your intention to stay the same is greater than your intention to change. And when your intention to change is greater, you'll possibly change. Until then, just be right where you are. It's okay. But don't, don't work against yourself and, and, and wonder why. It was a really, it, it got in. We all kind of, he, he, he nailed it, right? And like, whoa, okay. 
And it made me think, wow, what is my intention here? This is not just, oh, wouldn't it be nice? It's you have a power when you decide that you can put into, into action. But that means not being at the mercy of your beliefs that say, oh, I couldn't do this. Like the Buddha saying, if it were not possible, I would not tell you to do so. That's why you're here. Another aspect of intention. You know, I want to read a, a quote about the possibility of change before I move on. This is, um, you're probably familiar with the positive psychology movement. By uh, In the last 10 or 15 years, instead of looking at abnormal, how we're all abnormal and and pathologizing everybody, the positive psychology movement is going towards health. Started by, it was radical. I know there's quite an extraordinary shift. It started with uh, this guy, Martin Seligman, who wrote this book, Authentic Happiness. And when he became head of the uh, uh, president of the American Psychological Association, he started this, uh, this shift. And this is how it really started. This is him writing. The moment took place in my garden while I was weeding with my five-year-old daughter, Nikki. I have to confess that even though I write books about children, I'm really not all that good with them. I'm goal-oriented and time-urgent, and when I'm weeding in the garden, I'm actually trying to get the weeding done. Nikki, however, was throwing weeds into the air, singing and dancing around. (laughs) I yelled at her. She walked away and then came back and said, Daddy, I want to talk to you. (laughs) Yes, Nikki, I said. Daddy, do you remember before my fifth birthday, from the time I was three to the time I was five, I was a whiner. I whined every day. When I turned five, I decided not to whine anymore. That was the hardest thing I've ever done. And if I can stop whining, you can stop being such a grouch. This was, for me, an epiphany, nothing less. Nikki hit the nail right on the head. I was a grouch. I'd spent 50 years mostly enduring wet weather in my soul, and the last 10 being a nimbus cloud in a household full of sunshine. Any good fortune I had was probably not due to my grumpiness, but in spite of it. In that moment, I resolved to change. That was the beginning of the positive psychology movement. It's possible to change. But it starts with a decision to make it happen. In the teachings, this decision is sometimes called or referred to or pointed to by the term clear comprehension of purpose. When we have an inspiring vision that we are clearly motivated by, that we will do our best to make happen, then all the holes that we fall in are held in that learning process. 
And that clear comprehension of purpose is coming back to the sincerity of heart. I, I was at a conference with the, the Dalai Lama uh, a number of years ago. It was really uh, wonderful. And, and somebody asked him one day, how do you deal with all the, the suffering that you see? How does it, you keep it from uh, overwhelming you? And he said, my sincere motivation is my protection. And then the next day, somebody asked, how do you work with all the fear? And he said, sometimes even he can get afraid. And he said, without batting an eye, my sincere motivation is my protection. And when we have that connection to our sincerity of motivation, it becomes a protection because we are, we're tapping into something very profound and powerful and pure. So I was talking to somebody today who was talking about just when they are around the, the monastics and the, the purity that's touched is so, is so palpable. And as, as they were talking, they were, they were kind of getting in touch with it. And I got a transmission of that purity. That's what you want to stay with, whatever touches you in that way. A few years ago, I got in touch with this clear comprehension of purpose. Uh, it was on that same um, trip to Dharamsala where I was going to this conference, and um, I was sharing with a friend that I was um, I was going to the conference, and I happened to mention that I was uh, going to be uh, my itinerary uh, stopped at Frankfurt on the way to, uh, to the conference. And, and this uh, friend said, oh, you should see Mother Mira. And I said, oh, who is this very wonderful, holy woman? And I said, oh, yeah, maybe I will. And then I kind of got hearing, oh, you really should see Mother Mira. And then I found out that Mother Mira could grant you the boon of whatever you wish for to come true. And I said, okay, I'm going. Right. <laughs> so I... I arranged for to stay over a couple of nights in, in, in Frankfurt and, and uh, have darshan with, with Mother Mira. And I, um, I went. There were about oh, maybe 125, 150 people there. And everybody comes into this room and it's in silence and um, you're meditating for a while. Then she comes in and sits down, all in silence, and one by one you come up in front of her. There's like a, an on-deck circle, you know, just be, before, the person before, and then you go up and each file through. And she, you go down, you, you sit in front of her and you put your head down and she does something on your neck that somebody explained to me was like, unraveling your karmic knots. I, I don't know how it works, whatever, but she does that for a little while, and then she lets go. And then you look it into her eyes, and um, it's like looking into an ocean of eternity, right? And then after a while, she closes her eyes, and that's the end of the darshan. And that's it. About 45 seconds or so, because I was kind of timing it. And I get there, and I'm saying, 
Mm, wow. Okay. So if she could really grant whatever I want to come true, what do I want? And I've been thinking this in the back of my mind for a few days, but this was, this was the moment. And I kept on thinking. I didn't want to be first. This is one time I didn't want to be first. I wanted to take my time. What do I really want? What's really important to me? Hmm. Do I want another thing, another gadget, another object? They all come and go. Do I want another experience? Well, they all come and go too. What do I really, really want? What will be most fulfilling for me? And I kept on thinking and reflecting and just getting deeper and deeper into my deepest places in the heart until I got in touch with something. And then I went up and I sat in front of her. And I don't know if she has magic powers or not, but in that heightened awareness, with that focused energy on my intention, it was, and as I looked into her eyes and just focused on it, it was like it just seared right into my heart. And that was uh, 17 years ago. That intention is with me. I say it before I give a talk, before I'm working with, with somebody and, uh, for a, a longer time, or any time that I really want to remember what, what's important to me, it's with me. Now, I ask you, if you were in my position, what would you wish for? I invite you now just to close your eyes for a moment and imagine being in front of some holy being or magic genie or some deva or life or God or the Dharma, however you envision it, who will grant you your deepest heart's desire. What would you wish for? What will be sustaining, fulfilling, inspiring way to live your life? If you can get in touch with it, see if you can empower it with the decision to do your part to make that happen. This is your clear comprehension of purpose or your true, sincere intention that's coming right from your heart, that fuels your practice, that can fuel everything that you do. It's a gift that you can access it and then empower it.
and know that as you do, everybody in your life will benefit from you getting more and more in touch with a fulfilling, deepening heart's desire that not only is beneficial to you, but to everyone that you'll meet. So this is intention, the power of intention, both in the moment, in every single moment, planting the seed of happiness, and in the wider perspective, knowing what really moves and inspires you, that wise intention, and letting your whole life be a journey of deepening and awakening to that, realizing, actualizing your potential. And I think I'll close with a... Maybe I'll do this quote. Mm. This is from the Scottish Himalayan Expedition by W.H. Murray. You might be familiar with this. It's a beautiful passage. Until one is committed, there's hesitancy, the chance to draw back, always ineffectiveness. Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there's one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans. That is that the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help one that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events issues from the decision, raising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen incidents and meetings and material assistance, which no person could have dreamt would have come their way. I've learned a deep respect for one of Goethe's couplets. Whatever you can do or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. So let's sit for a moment together. and come back for a chanting. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.